Hi everyone, I'm Adam Johnson. I'm a dad and a rare disease patient advocate, a self-proclaimed dadvocate. From the onset of symptoms and even after an eventual diagnosis, the isolation was almost as excruciating as the symptoms themselves. I felt so alone in so many ways. One of the most prominent ways in particular was as a parent. I knew I couldn't be the only person with a rare disease who was also trying to raise children, but it sure felt like I was. As I've learned, when there's not a specific community you're looking for, one that you need, sometimes you just have to make it yourself. It's taken a while, but I finally decided to do just that. And here we are. This is Parents is Rare, a series brought to you by Energy in Action. Living life as a parent with a rare disease can be quite paradoxical. We laugh and cry, we're vulnerable and scared, we're brave and afraid, all at the same time. Parents is Rare is a community where parents like me, who have a rare disease or chronic illness, can connect, share, support, and be supported. Hi everyone, we're back with the next episode of the Parents is Rare series of the Energy in Action podcast. Good to be with you, I'm your host, Adam Johnson. Those of you who follow me on social know that my handle is Rare Disease Dad. Today's conversation is with Chris Freeman, who is the chronic pain dad. Safe to say, we have a lot in common, and it's another example of the positive connections I've been so fortunate to make through the use of social media after my rare disease diagnosis. Chris raises awareness for chronic illnesses and supports all those who are in chronic pain, something he knows all too well. Chris is also a member of the Community Leadership Council for the National Pain Advocacy Center. His work spreads far and wide and supports many in various communities. He does all of this while being an outstanding husband and dad. As he notes on his Twitter page, he's in agony 24-7, but he'll never give up. And he also encourages others to stay strong and reminds them that they matter. I love that combination, and I also loved our conversation. I hope you do as well. Here he is, the chronic pain dad, Chris Freeman. All right, Chris, thanks for taking some time for me today. I appreciate it. How are you? Oh, yeah, you're welcome. I appreciate you having me on. Today's an okay day, you know, um, with the pain being 24-7. It's something that I just live with, you know, and today got up and took my kids to school like I do every day. It's good drive. Always love just spending that time with them. Yeah, any little bit, any little moment is just so precious. And I, I agree with you there. It's uh, always nice to have those opportunities with the kids. It's it's some of the best times of the day for sure. Mm-hmm. All things considered, especially when the, you know, the pain is a, a 24-7 type deal, I really do, you know, thank you for taking the time. I know that the the schedules are tough and the variability of the, you know, the chronic illness life and the pain that comes along with it is always a challenge. So really do, you know, want to thank you for taking the time here. And I'd like to dig into your story, Chris, a little bit and share with everybody you know, about, uh, about your life. I know that, that for you, you know, that you've been kind of struggling with pain your whole life, right? So let's maybe take it from the top. Yeah. Chris, if you don't mind and, and take us back to your childhood or, and, you know, start, start things out there. Yeah. I was born as a preemie, a premature child. Um, when I, uh, was born, I weighed just a little under three pounds. I was born, I think it's like two and a half months early, blessed to be around, blessed to be here. And so as a child, uh, I had great difficulties uh, walking. I didn't walk till I was a little over four years old. And so I was uh, late in developmental and and walking and running. And um, the major problems were the spina bifida and the scoliosis as a child. And and my parents trying to figure that out. And, you know, I was born 66. So back then um, there wasn't a lot of 
a lot of help where where we lived uh, with with problems. So it it was a great struggle for them, and they they did their best as parents, um, uh, trying to get me help. And um, my spine itself has always caused problems. I I can remember uh, uh, being uh, playing in gym and and football when I was 13 years old and, and always being in pain. And I, I won a, um, an award for football for persevering through pain. And that, wow. Okay. And that, was, <laughs> that was my major, my major accomplishment. My dad was so proud of me and just to be able as a young kid to try and, and move through the pain and try to be normal. And, and, you know, I was also born with uh, dyslexia most people think it's just switching of of letters and in in words it's for me it was, it was a lot more so i i went to what they called back then a handicap school because they didn't know how to deal with uh, kids with learning disabilities in the early 70s and and so that was always always a, a big struggle but yeah uh getting back to like uh, the pain the pain has always been with me as a kid um, I, I chipped my spine uh, at school and, and from there, um, the, the facet joints in my spine, they're not connected. It caused major problems, which began just spiraling down as I got older. You know, I live with uh, hypermobility as well, which is great when you're a kid. You're flexible. You, I never really broke a bone. Got lots of injuries, lots of sprains and stuff. And and uh, but as you get older, um, it's causing a lot of havoc in life. And now my my poor daughter, who's eleven, she's going to a pain clinic uh, for her hypermobility, and we're trying to get her diagnosed um, as well as myself with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome (EDS). So um, those are just some of the things that that I've lived with in my teenage years. I I played football, I wrestled. It's always been this this kind of kind of struggle with the pain as a kid you don't you don't really get it my my dad was a professional wrestler he was probably one of the roughest people that i've ever met was a rough dad and uh he would just say the things you know like suck it up or you know just do it push through it grind through it whatever he would do and as a kid i would think okay that's that's what we do we just push through right that's the mindset yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so he really didn't understand and he would just say, stop complaining, you know? And so as a kid, yeah, really hard, had to keep quiet uh, a lot of times when it, when it was hurting. And um, I I think that's a lesson I learned. And now when my daughter was um, talking about her pain and stuff, um, man, I sit and listen to her and, and, and try and help her out. We get her to a doctor that, that can help treat her. We get her whatever she needs. Um, she has the same ankle problems I had, um, weak ankles. So when she's in gym, she runs and, and um, she easily sprains her, her ankles. So we get her like supports for that and, and stuff that I just didn't have as a kid. And, and I get it. It's, yeah. We're talking 50 years ago. So things have changed now. There's, there's equipment for kids and, and stuff. So. Yeah. And you've utilized, you know, kind of what you learned and what you experienced and are, are now taking that to, to heart and remembering what it was like and, 
you know, maybe, you know, that that's been a helpful thing for you as a dad, perhaps, you know, to be able to use those experiences and now translate them into what it's like for your kids. And I appreciate the fact that you're doing that. That's fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And you know, it's one of the things for me, Chris, with my mitochondrial disease that when I first got my diagnosis, you know, just about three years ago now, first thing pops into my head is what about the kids, right? Because they were 10 and, and three and you're just going, man, I don't know. And then I start watching and then every little thing that happens, I'm like, Ooh, I wonder if that's that. Or what that. And, I, and I don't want them to experience that same pain that I have as well. Anytime any parent has some, you know, some instance where their kid is feeling the pain, we want to just take it away from them as, as much as possible. It's one of the, one of the struggles that I, that I have. And that I think we all have as parents. Yeah. I relate to that a lot. Yeah. And, and here, here's my ignorance. I apologize, but I wanted to ask you about mitochondrial. I am not educated in it. So what is it? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a very broad disease, right? So mitochondrial disease, if it's a big umbrella, there's a ton that fits in underneath it. And they're continuing to find all sorts of different connections to other diseases as well, simply because the mitochondria are so important to us. When I first heard mitochondrial disease, Chris, I was going like, wait a second, mitochondria sounds familiar, but that was way back in high school science, right? Like I'm in biology class. <laughs> and I'm like that mitochondria, that's like the powerhouse of the cell type of a thing, you know, and that was the extent of it. I'd never heard of a disease associated. Basically, it's a it's an inherited, you know, chronic illness that that can present any time from, from birth, uh, or it could develop later in life. I'm one of the old guys who was diagnosed a little later. I was 35 when my symptoms started to, to creep in, and it can cause all sorts of different you know, physical or, or developmental or cognitive disabilities with various symptoms. Um, the, the ones that, that I deal with the most is, is the musculoskeletal system. I have lots of pain in the muscles and the joints, a lot of extreme weakness and fatigue and and pain that sets in and then my respiratory system is under attack basically my my breathing muscles aren't functioning the way that they are supposed to especially for somebody my age so i rely on a ventilator for you know giving my respiratory muscles a break to catch up because that's the one thing you can't just rest from right like you always got to breathe um so i have a machine that does that for me all night and uh and then at times throughout the day when I have to lay down and, and rest to catch up because it, uh, it, it it takes a toll. It takes a toll for sure. So, yeah, so that's, you know, I guess mitochondrial disease in a nutshell. It's really interesting because if there was somebody else out there who had the same, you know, diagnosis as I do, similar, you know, genetic pathway, the symptoms could be completely different, uh, which is really unique about that, that disease, at least in my perspective. Right. And, yeah, I'm sorry you live with that. Kind of similar part of it. Not not the respiratory, but um, you know I was diagnosed at a late age, um, thirty nine I think, forty, uh, with uh, with fibromyalgia, which at the time, uh, back in the early two thousands, I remember the doctor saying, God, "Just don't call it fibromyalgia because nobody believes it." Hmm. Yeah, that's part of the reason why I I started getting on on Twitter was because people say you know it's just a term used for anything when they don't know what's wrong with you. But fibromyalgia has its own, its own symptoms, got the joint pain and the pain just throughout the body and the fatigue as well. The fatigue. Um, I often tweet the fatigue can be more overwhelming at times than uh, 
than the pain. You know what that's like. Um, yes. The pain I can put ice on. I can use a heat pad or a heated blanket or braces, which I use a lot. The fatigue just requires me to sleep. And when my kids want to go out somewhere, I'm like, uh, sorry, dad's got to. And they're like, now, now they're like, oh, okay. I get yeah, it. You're yeah. tired. You know, and it's because they, they don't understand. They're just kids. Right. That's one of the, the struggles that I have as well is communicating and discussing with the kids. It's important to keep those lines of communication open, right? To the point where they get it or they understand. And early on for me, you know, uh, when I was going through things, it was just such a stark contrast to the life that I was living before. I was traveling for work. I was on the go all the time when it was the weekend or when I'm home with the kids, we were on the go all the time, moving from one activity to the next activity, the next, and I was right in the middle of it all getting after it all the time. And so when I started to have the symptoms popped up and had to slow back and, and cut down and, you know, do some of those things, they really, they really noticed. And they were, they were young at the time. And it was, it was tough. Uh, it was a little easier for the older one. Uh, my daughter was about 10, like I mentioned, but my son who was three, he's like, come on, let's go. You know, what are we doing here? <laughs> Yeah. 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 I can, I can see um, how that would be really difficult having you be active and then having to rest, take breaks, pause and stuff. Um, my kids that like, they, they were born with, um, with their dad like this, I came as this package. When you do have those discussions or, or, you know, I don't know, do you remember, because like, like you said, you've, you've kind of had this, this is, this is you, and that's been you since, you know, the time they were born even. Do you remember some of those early type conversations or when those started, how those went at all with, with your kids when you would have that, you know, that heart to heart, say, hey, this is what's going on. This is what I'm feeling and this is what I'm experiencing and what I have to do. Yeah, I, I remember like parts. My, my brain is so terrible. Sorry about that. Oh, I, I'm right there with you. <laughs> I, I hear. You. I remember when they were younger and starting preschool, and they would play at the parks with their friends, and their friends would stay, and I'd say, you know, Dad's got to go home, and they'd be crying and stuff, and I'd feel terrible. And on the ride home, I tried to explain to them. I remember my daughter hurting herself. She was about six, and um, she had hurt her hand really bad, and I, I just remember her saying. Is this what you feel like? And same with my son. He he fell one time and and uh, hurt his back really bad. And he goes, "Dad, is this is this what it feels like?" And so we 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 would have a conversation. Yeah, this is this is kind of what it feels like all over, especially you know my back. And and I, I remember the conversation with my son, uh, just because of his. I could see him thinking. Yeah. You know, going wow. You know, going wow. I didn't. You know, he said something like I. I didn't know that. I didn't know it was this bad, you know, and now, now they're, they're growing up to be, you know, compassionate kids. And when they see somebody hurting, they both run to their aid to make sure that they're okay. And oftentimes like um, we just went on a vacation and, and both of them would come from the pool area. Dad, you okay? Everything okay? Can I go back in? Do you need help? Do you need anything? You know, so they're they're at that age now where um, they they do understand that I have sometimes great limitations. You know, they're getting to be able to adjust to that. Yeah, my goodness, those that's one of those 
kind of you know through those through those examples that you gave there Chris it's one of those instances where I've and I've had this myself before where I feel like it's a it's an equal parts your heart is full just to see that empathy and that compassion that our children are displaying especially you know that example when your daughter was 6 and your you know your son was younger and you're like my goodness that's that's amazing and it's also heartbreaking in a sense at least it is for me when it, when that sort of stuff happens with with my kids where it's like man i wish i wish things were different or you know this is because of the things that i'm going through and yet here we are this is what we're going through this is what we're dealing with and since that's the case i come back to that man i love the empathy i love the compassion that they're displaying as such young human beings and i think that you know those examples you gave chris are a real strong testament to you and to your wife and you know the work that you've done raising your kids it's it's fabulous yeah thank you how are your kids with the scooter much better than i am yeah <laughs> i'll tell you that chris yeah uh, there were there were so there were a couple of different things with that the first big thing was my ventilator that came home and that for me was a big thing. It was hard when I went into my respiratory therapist and I'm sitting there and I had to transition from like a regular CPAP type machine, which wasn't cutting it because there were some deeper issues than what they had identified initially. They wheel this cart in and I'm looking across the room at it right now, this big hospital type stand with a big old screen on it with this hefty deal, lots of tubes, a couple wires hanging out. And when I saw that the first time, I freaked out. I was like, oh my gosh, what is this thing? Wow. That's too much. I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. And then they delivered it to the house and I forgot to tell the kids it was coming. And they saw that thing come in and I was, oh no, <laughs> that was a total dad fail. Because, you know, it's, I mean, it can be a little bit intimidating and it was for me and I did not prepare them well. And I'm a former teacher. Like I, I know better than, than that, even just from my background of working with, with children throughout my years. And uh, that was tough. But then I was like, well, this is what it is. This is how it goes. My son was quicker to come around on it because he's a little younger. He likes to push the buttons, help me turn it on, you know, give him a task or a job. And uh, my daughter was just kind of soaking it in, right? Like just taking it in and understanding things a little bit. When it came time for the scooter, they were better with it than I was, quite quite frankly. That was a big mental hurdle for me to try to get over, admitting that I needed that, especially when my doctor first mentioned it. You know, hey, if you want to manage your spoons, right? We talk about the spoon theory and how we, uh, you know, explain the energy crisis that we face to to others. And I, I need to manage the spoons, manage the energy that I have. And one way to do that in terms of conserving energy is to utilize tools that will help me with that. So the first time I used it, we went on a trip to California and I reluctantly uh, utilized it. And my kids were they were pretty good with it. You know, they, they liked it. Um, it wasn't too bad. Me, on the other hand, I'm sitting there going, man, I can't believe I have to do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not at that stage, but I'm at the stage where I possibly, and where I'm thinking about a walker. So I got to get past my own ego to do that. That was it for me, Chris. That was it. I mean, I started using the scooter for the first time, it was probably about two years ago when I when I used it first, a little more than that, maybe uh, just on a trip, you know, where I knew we'd be out and about moving around. I just can't do it. And so I did that. And then I started thinking when I came back home, maybe I need to get something around the house as well. Maybe I need something for here locally. And then the first time that I I, you know, I finally bought the bought the machine, 
which was also a, a struggle for me because that's a significant amount of money that I'd like to use for other things for my family, right? Some of these struggles that I don't share about a ton or, or talk about a ton, but they're real and they come with the territory of going through all these things. And I kind of beat myself up a little bit on that end. And uh, then when I finally got it here and used it here locally, I, I remember being out with my daughter and she had a friend with her. It was her birthday. They wanted to go out to the mall and go around. And I'm going, well, the only way for me to be able to get around the mall is to use my scooter. And so I talked to my daughter about that beforehand. I said, hey, you know, are you okay with this? This is you know, kind of what I have to do. This will be the first time you're doing it in front of your friend. And she's like, yeah, I mean, it's what you do. It's what you use. And it, it worked out okay. Her friend was all right with it. And now I go to the track meets or the t-ball games and I've got my scooter and that's just kind of how it is. I still have some second guessings, second thoughts, wondering who's looking and those types of things, but I'm getting more comfortable with it just because if I don't have those things, then I can't participate in these things with my kids like I would want to. And that is not an option for me while I can still do it, right? I want to do everything I can to still participate. That's encouraging actually to uh, hear one thing that really helped me, Chris, in processing that and getting to the point, because I've had it in phases. I went through that same thing with the cane when I first started with it. Then my physical therapist noticed that I had a foot drop going and my leg was given out. I got a full CAFO, a knee, ankle, foot orthotic that I had to get. Uh, I, I pretty much wear that most of the time when I'm outside of the house. Then, you know, moving on to the, uh, to the mobility scooter. Uh, when I go to physical therapy, have to use a walker to get out afterwards. All of those things have required an ego check. And for me to kind of get back to the mode of this is where I am, this is what I have to do. But I also had conversations with others about it to process, talking with people that have gone through it. And that was really helpful for me as well. So, you know, as you continue to grapple with that and think about it, and for others that might be in a similar boat, I think acknowledging those feelings that you have and recognizing them that they're okay to have those feelings because it's a lot. It's a lot. I think that's okay and it's good to bring those out. And I, I, you know, thank you for bringing out your perspective on that and sharing about it honestly because it's that's that's some real stuff. It's real talk. It's what we feel and and go through, and it's an incredible challenge at times. I've talked to others about it as well who have switched over to scooters and who have switched over to rollators or, or walkers, they say it's life-changing for them. Not everybody's staring at you. If people have questions, they're just curious. They're not, it's, it's nothing personal. And, and like you mentioned, it, it's the, the cost of things too, you know, and, you know, a good rollator up here would cost uh, between three and $600. And, and that's a, a lot of money. Um, especially, you know, like right now with the prices of everything just going skyrocketing. I sing praise about my wife so often. She She's amazing and never complains. You know, I'm, I'm going to physiotherapy and it's $90 every time. And I'm like, oh, you know, maybe we should, you know, expand it out every three weeks or something. <laughs> The cost of just everything, another brace, another this, another that. So yeah, yeah, boy, it's all it's all so relative. Yes, I, I, it's like I'm talking to myself here, Chris. I'm <laughs> in the mirror. I, you know, all those things that you're saying, you're hitting it right on the head. So one thing that I was curious about, Chris, for for you and for your, you know, for your family. I mean, we're talking about these different ways in which we adjust, right, to kind of 
be able to participate in the things that we want to or do the things that we want to when it comes to maybe a more specific activity or uh you know a, a time spending you know situation with your kids maybe how how have you adjusted those activities or what kinds of things have you been able to find where you can still spend that quality time you know kind of like the car rides to school and and those types of things what have you found in terms of activities with the kids that's been helpful for you and for them to still get that quality time together. The first thing that comes to mind is we've always gone to uh, little parks, you know, that have like the swing sets and stuff. And I've been able to find some that are small enough where I can walk around with them and, you know, uh, push them uh, when they were much younger on a swing. Can't do that now, but um, recently uh, the past few years we've done like Pokemon go I've been able to drive them around to places to get their Pokemon and great idea. It's yeah. um just a time where, you know, they get so excited about being able to do that. We're uh people of faith. So we go to church. Um, it's a big part of our life and, and just to be able to uh, help out in the church as well. And, and uh, spending time uh, with them there and then helping them study, you know, I'm not the one that does the math or the English, you know, because my, <laughs> yeah, because, because they'll fail. In fact, a couple of years, <laughs> a couple of years ago, um, my son's uh, grade five math teacher politely said, you know, maybe math's not the place you should, you should be volunteering. So, <laughs> so I, I, I don't do math, but you know, I, I help them out with, uh, with their Bible verses or with, he he's doing um, history. I love history. So spending time with stuff like that. And now he's doing football and we can connect that way. My, my daughter's going to be starting soccer soon and we can connect that way. And, and I could just sit on my lawn chair and just watch them practice or watch them play games. Super easy. It's <laughs> fantastic. I love that. Yeah. And I, I've been able to connect in a similar way uh, as well. My daughter's doing track right now. She did basketball for the first time this last season and, and uh, basketball was my big passion. That's what I played when I was a kid growing up and that was my go-to sport. And my son loves all things, all sports all the time now. So we're, he's got T-ball yeah. rolling and yeah, so I can, I can connect with those things oh, as nice. well. It's, it's, it's fun. Yeah. I'm thankful to be able to participate in those things and be able to chat with them about it afterwards. And yeah, it's, that's a lot of fun. So I'm glad you've been able to find those ways to connect with your with your kids. I know that, you know, there's sometimes when it's when it's different uh, for for each of us, whether we're dealing with chronic illness, rare disease. One of the challenging aspects can be, uh, you know, at least it has been for me. How do I go about some of these things that I want to do with my kids? And and I might have to do them in a different way. But the important thing is that we're still there and we're still present. We're still doing those things with them even though it might look different than the way we we might have imagined. At least for me, it's different than the way that I had imagined or I thought about it. But we adjust, we adapt, and we go forward. And that doesn't mean it's always going to be easy, but that's what we that's what we do. Exactly. So so there's one one other thing that I really wanted to to ask you about here, Chris, if you don't mind. So I know that you, you know, you, you navigated through and and despite, you know, kind of going back to your young adulthood um and the you know, time as a child growing up through schooling with the chronic pain, you, you continued on, you, you got your 
undergraduate and your you know graduate degree as you navigated through and you know as you're working through some of those things i was curious how that experience was for you while you were dealing with the chronic pain and the you know various diagnoses that you had as you're plugging away through that schooling what was that process like for you how did you get through that it was very difficult to be honest i i said earlier that i i I struggle, I, and I still struggle with dyslexia. So university was hard. I went to a Christian university, and then afterwards I went to a, a seminary. You know, I had some understanding professors, very caring and kind professors in my undergrad. And um, not that they weren't in seminary, they're good. But yeah, it was, it was difficult. Uh, I would actually have to lie down at the back of the class, and, and the students would just be like, oh, that's Chris. That's, you know, he's in pain. He's, he's lying down. And then the professor would ask a question, Chris, what do you think? So I'd be talking from on my back, you know, and, and um, so I was very, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was very fortunate to be able to do that. And then in, in seminary, it just became more difficult. And I call they, they call it like fiber fog, but everybody that lives with pain has this, this brain fog sometimes. I, yes. I don't know yes. if you've, ex- yeah, you've experienced that. And, um, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it got so bad um, that I, I earned a one year master's level uh, in um, biblical teaching. I never got far enough to earn my master's of uh, theology, which I was trying because it, the fatigue and the pain just became too overwhelming. My grades just started to drop so bad because I couldn't study like a regular student. And um, at that kind of level, they, they expect much more from you. Understandably, it's a master's program. And so I, I had to, unfortunately, drop out. And, um, but I have a master's level certificate in biblical teaching. And my undergrad's in uh, teaching as well. When I go back to high school, I remember sitting in the principal's office. And it, oh, not high school, uh, junior high, grade eight. And uh, the principal saying to my parents, listen, this guy's just not going to make it to high school, you know? And my dad's saying, um, no, we're going to keep him in school. He's going to work hard. You know, he'll at least graduate. My dad never graduated. My dad finished grade eight and that's all he did in life. And he wanted to see all of his four kids graduate. So, you know, we got, we got a little help with the dyslexia and, you know, I was able to carry on, carry on in life. But yeah, the struggles of, just the education was was so hard. And, you know, I, I've talked to people on Twitter who are at that level, that master's level, or some even earning their doctorates that, that are living with pain. And I, I tell them, I'm just amazed at you. I had to I had to stop because it was just too overwhelming for me. Plus, you know, we were at that same time um, I was in seminary, we were also thinking about having kids. I was getting older. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm like the oldest dad for my kids age at school. You know, some of those kids have grandparents, you know, my granddad's your your same age. It's like, all right, whatever, (laughs) Mm -hmm. whatever. I'm unique, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but uh, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm okay with that. But yeah, no, yeah, it was difficult, but uh, you know, I, I was blessed to, to be able to just get through it. And the undergrad program that I was involved in, a lot of it was on the internet. So I was able to, you know, go at a slower pace and get 
get the work done. A tool to help us, you know, navigate through some of those things. That's very helpful. And you mentioned earlier, Chris, you mentioned the word perseverance. And I just see so much of that in you and, and you know, the different things that you've done and, and accomplished and even gone after and tried. And I, you know, I commend you for that. It's, it's, it's wonderful. And I, you know, I, I love that. I also wanted to mention that um, I, I noticed that you're on the Community Leadership Council for the National Pain Advocacy Center. Absolutely. Yeah. With, with some other amazing advocates who, you know, I've, I've, I've just come to know or, or seen on, on Twitter and, I really admire your involvement there. And I was curious if you wouldn't mind filling in those that might be unfamiliar with it. Can you tell us a little bit about the National Pain Advocacy Center and what your role is there now, Chris? Sure. Oh, I appreciate that. I'm on the, I think they call it the advisory council. Okay. Mm -hmm. I am impressed with the advocates that they have on there. Now I keep wondering why I'm on, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, they're lucky to have you. Yeah, I hear no, you. That's, that's another <laughs> ego thing. Well, anyways, um, <laughs> nationalpain.org um, is an organization and they're, they're trying to make changes, especially to the, to the opioid um, prescribing laws that have changed since 2016, where they started cutting off people from their much needed pain pills. And we're, we're looking at changing that back to where people can get back their medication because so many people have lost their jobs. Some have lost their lives when they, when their medicine has been cut off. And um, it's just been an absolute atrocity. It's been terrible what the CDC has done. And so we're looking at, at changing that. And with the new proposed guidelines that had just come out, there is some change and, and we're hoping to get, you know, people back on their much needed uh, medication and nationalpain.org. If you go to their website, it's an absolute amazing website packed with information. You can connect to any one of the advocates. And then there's the science and advisory board uh, as well that it's absolutely amazed at just how many doctors uh, we have on that and scientists. And, and um, they've really put together a, a group of people that are going to change the way uh, the CDC does its practices. It's just going to take time, but but they're doing an amazing job, and I'm just, I'm just uh, blessed and, and proud to be part of that organization. Yeah, we hope to, to bring about changes very soon. Outstanding. Well, thank you for the work that you're doing there, and we'll get the, we'll get the website put into the, into the show notes, uh, Chris, so those that want to go back and access that can go check out the site and check out the resources that are there. I spent a little time on the website, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of good information there. Yeah, so I appreciate you sharing. I guess it's this whole journey that you've kind of been on and those steps that you've taken to get there. Is that what kind of got you into this path of raising awareness about some of these invisible illnesses that we've kind of touched on and, and talked about? Uh, yes. I um, came to the point in 2012 where I was like, I can't be the only one experiencing these problems. A whole world opened up. I was like, amazed just how many people um, were raising awareness about uh, fibromyalgia, lupus, uh, CRPS, uh, chronic regional pain syndrome, um, and so many amazing people uh, like yourself. I mean, creating your own website, uh, raising awareness, uh, doing podcasts. And um, so, yeah, that got me started. Then, Then I thought, you know, I'll just use this platform to raise awareness for everything. 
not just fibromyalgia, not just like chronic back pain or whatever, but but for everything. So every month I try to get awareness out there of um, of uh, different uh, diseases, different illnesses, and um, you know I actually enjoy doing it, uh, sending out articles, trying to educate people, and and just just letting people know that my my main thing yeah is just letting people know that they're not alone you know and there's there's new people coming on all the time and you know they they feel so alone especially if they're not married or you know they're they're single and and nobody out at work understands or nobody at school understands what they're going through that they can get on here and and that they can find some hope somebody to connect with and and I try to connect people with other people so that that we create this just big family on Twitter, you know, of of just support and caring and kindness. Well, I'll tell you, Chris, if if you would have been the one to explain to me that Twitter could be an avenue for such activity, I would have signed on to that website way longer than just the two and a half years ago or three years ago when I decided to sign on for the same reasons you just described. I avoided it, yeah. you know, like the plague for years. I didn't want anything to do with social media. And then when I was in that situation where I was like, man, it's so lonely here, but wait a second, I can't be the only person who's like this. I can't be the only dad or parent out there who's dealing with this condition, you know, these struggles, trying to figure things. I can't be the only one. There's got to be other people. Let's see what happens on this Twitter thing. I think Twitter could, you know, learn a lot from you and the way that you're using the, you know, the tool to to connect with others, to raise awareness. It's it's fabulous. I really uh I really appreciate it and and thank you for the work that you're doing and the way in which you're cultivating that community, that family type atmosphere. You know, I I I love it and I, you know, I sincerely thank you for the empathy, the kindness that you display and how you're, you know, using these avenues to support so many others, even as you deal with the challenges that you're doing, Chris, I, uh, yeah, I commend you for it. Thank you very much. Oh, no, thank you. You're, you're very kind, Adam, but thank you. I appreciate all, all that you're doing and having me come on is, and just talking with you rather than just me talking, just learning from you, you know, and, and that's, that's one thing that I've also learned is from, from other parents on Twitter. You know, because I'll say something and then a parent will go, well, maybe this. Like when I, when my kids were young, we did this. And I'll be like, you know what? Never even thought of that or never even tried that. I'm going to give that a try. And that's, that's what I love about it is the support. You know, like there's so many parents on there and so many parents are willing to share uh, their experiences to help others that are just going through it or struggling right now. And, and it, Although Twitter can be a mean place at times, it can also be a beautiful place. Absolutely. Very well said. And to find some more of the the beauty there, you can follow Chris at Chronic Pain Dad. So look him up on, on Twitter, give him a follow, and have some interactions with him there. Anywhere else you want to mention where we can find you at all, Chris, before we wrap up here? Hi, I'm Chronic Pain Dad on Facebook and Instagram too. There we go. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Chronic Pain Dad. Check them out. Chris, thanks so much for your time. I hope you uh, have a good rest of your day. And if you're able to make it out to football practice this afternoon, 
enjoy that as well. If not, be kind to yourself and and uh, maybe maybe next time. <laughs> okay, Adam, thank you so much for having me on. You're amazing. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Chris. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Parents is Rare, a series of the Energy in Action podcast. Please be sure to leave a review and a rating for this episode wherever you listen and subscribe and listen to the Energy in Action podcast, where we talk all things Mito. Until next time, remember to show up, be vulnerable, supportive, and kind, and give yourself permission to feel along the way.